Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography Podcast. Today, my guest is Leslie Ann Graham. Leslie worked as a lead specialist nurse for the NHS for a number of years. She ran two clinics as an executive coach for human resources, and she's also an author. Welcome, Leslie. I am so excited and happy to have you here. I cannot wait to dive in and share your story. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm great, Brad. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me on your podcast. It is my pleasure and my honor to have you here as a guest. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today. I am so excited to chat. So with that being said, let us jump right in. Leslie, how long did you work for the NHS as a lead specialty nurse? Well, I worked for the NHS for 38 years and for 18 of those years, I was a specialist nurse. And so what inspired you to pursue a career as a nurse, Leslie? Well, actually, it was a bit of a fluke because (laughs) (laughs) I left school at 15 because my mum needed some assistance financially. So I just left school early and I was a clerk for a couple of years. But really, my heart was into wanting to be a vet. But because I left school at 15, I didn't have the qualifications. And uh, so I had to ditch that idea. And it was a friend of mine who actually approached me and said, well, if you're not enjoying this clerking business, there's always nursing and you can go through an entrance exam. So that's exactly what I did. Yes. When <laughs> now, I was 18. Yes. What? Did that thought about being a vet ever enter back into your head once you started nursing or was it just gone? Well, no, I always thought about it, but I was getting so far on in my training that it would have been a bit silly to just, yeah, let everything go and uh, transfer. So, yeah, but I made the right decision. I know that now. (laughs) (laughs) What were your duties and responsibilities as a lead specialist nurse with the NHS? Oh, well, there's various qualifications. And because the NHS is lifelong learning and you're allowed to move around into different specialities. When I first qualified, I went into theatre and because my placement ended there, they asked me to stay as a, as a scrub nurse in the operating theatres. And I was there for five years, thoroughly enjoyed it and, you know, really learned a lot. And then I was seconded over to a major new hospital to put all the instrumentation into this brand new hospital. So that, again, was a specialised job that I did. And then after that, I experienced a bit of burnout Mm -hmm. because this new hospital didn't have a night shift. So I was ending up, you know, working 24 hours a day. 24 hours? Yeah. And and they they couldn't pay you. And you just got home for an hour and then they'd send a taxi back because an emergency had come in and you were on your feet. I mean, it was ridiculous when I look back at it now. So yes, that didn't last very long before I really felt as if this is going to really impede my health. So that's when I a synchronicity happened where I met someone again and they said, oh, well, there's a job going in the community. Would you like to come and train? And what we call it a district nurse, but it's a community nurse. And you have to do a specialist training for that too. So I ended up in the community working for mm-hmm. 17 years. And that was really handy because I had my family, so I didn't have to do night shifts, which right. was the, the, the keen thing. And after that, I went to a doctor's practice and worked with a group of doctors on a research pilot scheme, which introduced nurse practitioners at that time. So we had to train to triage. Uh, So everything that came in were triaged, which triage is obviously the Napoleonic word to sort. Right. Uh, Yeah. So I was sorting whether we could see them as, as a team of nurses or whether the GPs, the general practitioners could see them. And yes, so during that time, 
I did extra training and I went away to be trained to be a respiratory nurse. So that was a whole year attached to the practice. So, yeah, so I've got a qualification in respiratory nursing. And that was a great thing for the practice because I used to use a machine called a spirometry machine, which is a diagnostic tool. And generally, patients have to go to hospital to be assessed to find out what type of lung condition they've got and the performance of the lungs. So I ended up doing my own nurse-led clinics. And then I became a nurse prescriber. So I could, it was the whole thing I could do myself, which was really good. So yes, I had lots of different training how long did you work 24 hours like i can't that's insane honestly brad it was ridiculous i mean i think i put up with it for about a month with just being able to go home for three or four hours at a time and going back again and i mean there was a team of us that were doing that and sharing that and they said oh you can have some time back because we can't afford to pay you this is the craziness (laughs) of the nhs even back then because we were queuing so many hours they just couldn't afford to pay us and it just got really, really silly. And uh, I can't even imagine you lasted a month doing. That's insane. That would never fly in today's day and age. There no, is no way that would it happen. Wouldn't. But it was a brand new hospital, brand new theatre suite. You know, they didn't yeah. have extra staff to pull in from anywhere else because we'd all been just seconded specially. So that, that was uh, that time. So you yeah. must have been dead on your feet, like uh, a, a month was. of that. I certainly was, and it was a big strain on my marriage. I'm sure it was. Yeah, it was. So that was the burnout time. What lit you up or inspired you the most about being a lead specialty nurse, Leslie? What did you enjoy the most about it? I think the thing was when I became an autonomous practitioner, you know, when I could run clinics myself and make decisions myself and just be part of the doctor's team because I had quite a wealth of knowledge about respiratory medicine by then. Right. Because doctors in general practice, they know a little about a lot of things. But they don't sort of spend a lot of time on one particular subject. So I became the fountain of knowledge. Yes. <laughs> just, <laughs> just go and ask Leslie. <laughs> in, my, in my opinion, I mean, having gone into hospitals and the nurses do a hell of a lot more than the doctors do. It's crazy how much responsibility the nurses have, yet they don't even make a fraction of what the doctors That's make. That's right. I mean, it's it's grown over the years, more responsibility, yeah. more responsibility. Mm-hmm. Because clearly, you know, the, the, uh, there's a lot of doctors leaving now, the NHS yeah. essentially. And of course, we knew that this would change because in the agenda for change document, it was talked about more and more specialist nurse practitioners in particular right. that could sit in the role of like a junior doctor really, which right. is what they're stepping into now. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And uh, the nursing profession is known for its demanding nature and immense emotional toll it can take on the individuals. As you spoke about burnout, and I mean, it wouldn't go to that degree nowadays, I don't think. But how did you personally manage the pressures and maintain your passion and dedication to the profession throughout your career? Can you share any coping strategies or self-care practices that helped you? I think humor is a big <laughs> it's it's yes it's it's a big asset is humor and normally you know teams of nursing staff we do we, we are all sort of pull together as a team and function as one really as a whole and mm-hmm. uh, so we're all recognized where some i mean obviously it's a serious subject yeah but, you know in your sort of if, few minutes that you got for a cup of tea every now and then or whatever you you know it wasn't about the patients it was about other stuff you know outside of work that uh, you know you would share and have a bit of a giggle before you went back in and I guess you had to really because this, there was such a lot to contend with emotionally when you're involved with people yeah Absolutely. So humor was the biggest one, I think. And as I say, teamwork, we're all like a family and we're all knew it wasn't about us. We were there. Yeah. For them. Yeah. Right, we were right. There for them. Which is the key piece of it all, I would think. Yes. Yes. Reflecting definitely. on your years of service as a lead specialist nurse, Leslie, can you share a particularly challenging situation or case that pushed you to your limits? And how did you navigate through it? What lessons did you learn from that experience? I think initially that one, that first one that I told you, just the theatre, you know, and, and having to go backwards and forwards, that was really challenging in itself. But that only lasted a short time. And then I recognised I had to do something about that. But really looking back into the early 
years and the, the thing that really sticks out in my mind when you think about a particular time I think I hadn't been long qualified and I was on a children's ward and a little boy an 11 year old boy had been helping out as a Saturday job in the butchers and unfortunately he got his hand caught in the circular uh, oh. meat thing and, and yeah. it just popped his hand off completely and it was that day that he'd already been admitted and he'd come to the children's ward but then this chap came in and it was his father. We didn't know at the time it was his father. Mm-hmm. And he was just running up and down the ward, shouting. And so he was so angry and demanding. And, you know, and he was really being disruptive. Naturally, now I'm a parent. I understand how yeah. he must have been. And so we had to sort of pull him aside and talk gently to him. But he wasn't going to settle. He, he wanted, you know, he wanted to see the consultant. He wanted all sorts of demands. And then we said, well, if you're calm enough, we can take you to see your son. And... We, we took him in to see his son who was being prepared to go to theatre. And this little boy who had just been sedated, he was it was just a, a light sedation before he went to theatre. And he just looked at his dad and he just said, oh, dad, they're going to take me and I'm going to be the six million dollar man. I'm going to get a new arm. And it was just like the whole thing just, I mean, the guy's face just, you know, he just melted. I think that was my first lesson in connecting to your superpowers, yeah. you know, and that your thoughts, you know, yeah. this childlike thing, this the thoughts of being like the six million six million dollar man, man was <laughs> the, the thing for him. He wasn't bothered about what no. else happened, but uh, the power of the mind, the power of the mind, and I'll never forget that. No, that was yeah. Wow, that is powerful, isn't it? Yeah, children are just great, aren't they? And, and that's why resilient. People, the work that I do now, it's all, you know, stay childlike, you know, yeah, do all those things and just light yourself up. So that it's was incredible. my first encounter. Yeah, that's right. Yes, absolutely. Throughout your career as a lead specialist nurse with the NHS, you must have witnessed significant changes in the healthcare system. Looking back, what are a couple of the most impactful transformations you've seen and how have these changes influenced patient care and what challenges do you believe still need to be addressed? Well, I think the transformations that we've seen, especially for me, was again with surgery, keyhole surgery, robotics, you know, mm-hmm. they can do so much more now. And so therefore, people are recovering quicker and being able to leave hospital quicker, which is far better for them. The roadside medics that have been trained up, the air ambulances that can get straight there, you know, within a few minutes or, you know, very short period of time. I think that's been a huge change since I first did my training and just the science around DNA and and prosthetics even, you know, for for these guys who... The $6 million man, kid. Oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) So there's been so many changes. I mean, I left the health service a number of years ago now. It's just ongoing, isn't it? It's it's just the science behind it is ongoing. Yeah, and I just feel that really what's happened with the health service is there's more access needed, I think, to community-based yeah, community-based projects. That's where I see where we could improve. improve. Yeah. 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 Now, as you mentioned, I mean, back when you first started as a nurse, burnout was relevant then. Yes. And we're hearing about a lot of women in particular who work in the field of medicine and in particular nurses, but also in corporate and things like that. They're experiencing a very high rate of burnout due to demands of the job, et cetera, as you explained with your story. When you were working as a nurse, aside from that situation where there was the group of you who were pulling those 24-hour shifts for a month, and obviously that is going to definitely cause burnout, but was this something that was common back then as a nurse that you saw in your tenure? Yes, it was, but not so much as today. You know, I can remember being a coach and working as well alongside other members of staff from different disciplines. And midwifery at that time was really, really stretched. And, And I can remember this particular midwife who was having a real hard time. You know, she'd been off poorly for a while and come back. And it was really difficult for her to come back. So she spent regular meetings with me just to work through how she could do things gently and keep on working, develop a practice and keep on working. And that occurred because so many uh, midwives had been leaving the service. And also a lot of them that were having volumes, huge caseloads, 
were going off sick because obviously they were coming so stressed and working yeah. long hours and it was a knock-on effect and she was one of these people and she was trying to come back but it was it was hard for her but yeah. uh, so yes I, I do recall even back then that was about 10 years ago 10 or 11 years ago and juggling shifts and whatnot so I do remember that then yeah now you being in the UK I'm here in Canada and I would have to say that the medical and healthcare system severely broken here as well as the US. Is this an issue that you and the UK are facing as well with the healthcare system? In my opinion, I'm going to say that the systems are failed or broken and are in part, I think, what is leading to the high burnout rate among the nurses, etc. Would you agree with that? And in your opinion, I mean, I'd love to hear, first of all, why do you think the healthcare system is so broken? The National Health Service, well, it's in a crisis over here, as you said. It's actually providing a gateway for people to explore what they're able to do for themselves now, I feel. So this is a big change because it's in chaos. So discovering all that's available now is a, is a good thing, really, in the sense of a redirect is how I look at it. It's obviously under a huge pressure with 7.6 million on the waiting list over here. Wow. Uh, which was just announced this morning. Uh-huh. So it's all of these different therapists are now coming forward and coming in to, to naturally enhance our health and well-being away from the stretched and broken system. It's no longer a safety net and it's buckling under the weight of the waiting list pressures and ever more with this sick society that we have. So, yes, so I feel that whether it's lack of funding or certainly breakdown in the social system. When I was working then, we had a lot of community input. There was a lot of clinics and children's centres. There was a lot of elderly care, you know, day centres. Lots of things where that would sort of take up up some of the load for the NHS and access to provide more service for the for people who needed minor treatments and things right. like that. Now, they just all seem to be piling into the accident and emergency department, and it's just jammed. It's yeah. Jammed. The system doesn't seem to work anymore. No, it seems quite broken. I mean, people, I, I've, I was at the hospital a little while ago with my wife, and we were in the emergency, and we got through, we had been in there probably about an hour and a half to two hours, where she went through triage and we were waiting to get moved to the next stage. And I went to the triage and asked the nurse, you know, roughly how long is this going to be? We had already been there almost two hours. And she said, well, the next person ahead of you has got another three to four hours at least. So, wow. And this was at, I think it was probably about nine thirty, ten o'clock at night by this time. Yes. And my wife just said, forget it. I'm not waiting another four five, six hours. Forget I'm going home. And so I'm finding that I think a lot of people are going in, as you mentioned, for very minor things. They're showing up with flu-like symptoms or colds or very minor things, which I think adds to the burden of the system, which, of course, backs up the queue in the emergency. And I mean, something's got to be done. So with you being out of the system, not working directly in the system anymore, how do you think we find a way forward out of this severely damaged and broken system. I mean, this doesn't seem like it's not just a North American problem. It seems like this is worldwide. And so how do we find a solution for people? I mean, I really think the system's irreparable right now. Yes. And I think the people are acutely aware. And I heard last year of a lady and I I watched her interview. And uh, I don't know whether you've heard of Catherine McBean. No, I haven't. Um, Catherine McBean has developed the People's Health Alliance. Um, basically, what she did, she did a clarion call and asked for all the other therapists if they were interested in coming together and creating hubs around the UK initially to come together with alternative therapies, what, whatever your therapy was, you know, whether it was reflexology, massage, mm-hmm. or, or talking therapies, because there's an awful lot of stress and mental health around yeah. the people with issues. And so she did that. And within, I think it was six weeks, she had 80 hubs set up wow. in the UK. Now then, I heard out in a recent interview, and that's I think that's up to 200 now, but it's also gone international. And I know they're just starting now in America, but mm-hmm. there, there are other European cities as well. 
that are now developing her idea. And it's just what they ask is if those using the system who want to be part of it can just pay a pound, one pound. That's it. To contribute, yes. And so the people are just paying a pound and they've got access to support and listening ear as well as support with um, lots of therapists, lots of that. And there's more nurses and doctors now becoming interested in this. So it's growing, you know, the the hubs are growing. That's incredible to help take the burden. Oh my goodness. Yes. And she didn't stop there because clearly she could see the issue around food and nutrition. And that's when she put it out there again for the food and farming alliance for all the farmers to come together and perhaps, you know, discuss what they could do. So what they've done is they're altering the crop rotation. They're dividing their fields up into smaller fields with more of a range of different foods, locally grown, selling them locally, fresh, and at a reduced cost. So this is really is what we've needed. I mean, it's, it's like people power, really. You have to look at it and say, well, what can we do as an alliance or a crop cooperative? Yeah, how can I participate? I mean, that, I think that's absolutely incredible. Yes. So, so yeah, hats off to Catherine McBean. Yeah, so that's absolutely. what seems to be growing in, in the, the UK. Yeah. And so these are all different, art, like you said, massage therapists, reflexologists, yes. all these different types of doctors who have come together to create this kind of co-op, if you will. And yes. it's just the people coming in, whatever they need out of those services, pay a pound and you get taken care of. That's right. Yeah. That's that is incredible. That's, isn't it? It's just an amazing idea. Is there uh, GPs that participate in this as well? Well, I don't know the full detail of which doctors are now getting interested because initially it was just all the therapists and obviously a lot of nurses, you know, we've we've done a lot of alternative therapies as well. Yeah. So, yes, so that's what I heard initially, but I haven't been myself to actually see what's going on. But she's mentioned that lots of doctors and nurses are now becoming interested. So just watch this space. That is incredible. This is needed worldwide. This is brilliant. What a brilliant idea. When she said that it's now being rolled out to different European countries and now in America so that people are coming forward. So it is, isn't it? Yes, it's it's definitely what's needed. Absolutely. I love it. I've spoken with a couple of lifestyle medicine doctors. So, and it would seem that this is the route that some physicians and the likes are taking, much like yourself, because the system is not working, as we can clearly see. I spoke with, she was a GP, she's in the UK as well, and she actually left her practice and moved into this lifestyle medicine, so more of an alternative, like a health and wellness, more well-rounded approach to medicine. And I remember something really stuck out with me and for me in our interview And she said that when she was practicing medicine as a GP, the catalyst for her was realizing that the the healthcare system is like the McDonald's or drive-through model of medicine. And that was the catalyst for her leaving. She just got to a point where it's like, I can't help my patients. They're in for 10 or 15 minutes, whatever it is. And that's clearly not enough time to sit with a patient, have the conversation, diagnose what's going on, start talking about methods to start helping them. So it just, it really stuck out with me, the fact that she called it the McDonald's or drive-through model of medicine. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, she's she's absolutely right. Yes. And, you know, working in a a general practitioner's practice, you know, you were only allowed 10 minutes. You can't do much in 10 minutes. No. Um, they, They just get their foot in the door. They can't share how they feel or anything. So it's just... It is exasperating. It really is. So, yeah. And then this view now that there's a pill for everything, you know. Yes. People have been conditioned now that, you know, adverts everywhere. This will cure this or this is, you've got these symptoms, take this pill and all that sort of thing. And to me, it just taking a pill for the symptoms isn't getting to the bottom, the root cause of what's going on for you. And then clearly there's a lot of people that that I think about that are isolated now. Yeah. And so there's a lot of mental health issues and, you know, a lot of people really, really struggling. And gone are the days when families used to be together or neighbours and everybody had a natural remedy. It was all plants, really, wasn't it? Yeah, and, uh, yeah. We'll try this. This is good. And cider vinegar or whatever it was. Yeah. And so those things are lost as well. I mean, even garlic. Garlic's yeah. so good for a lot of things. The enzymes, the 
is, is really good for a lot of bacteria yeah. and things. So all of these things are lost and I feel as if we should get come back round to some of those natural yeah, remedies absolutely. that we once had. But certainly it's buckling under and the lifestyle changes really are needed rather than all of these quick fixes. For sure. I mean, the pharmaceutical companies have stepped in and it's like, it's almost like doctors are are legal pill pushers. Let's just write a script for this. Here you go. Here's your pills. And all the side effects you hear in commercials with all the pharmaceutical commercials, they talk about the pills and the medications that they have, but the list of side effects is so much longer than the benefits of the pill. It certainly is. It's crazy. When I was doing my training and I did pharmacology for a year, and the lead pharmacist said, I'm in no doubt to say this clearly to you, these are not side effects. These are effects. Wow. And and I'll never forget that, what those words that he said. So, you know, it's all these chemicals. And if you're on a number of medications, you know, Clearly, it's, it's you have not to be best. careful. This one interacts badly with that one, yes. and like it's so much. Yeah, sometimes it can just cause a little bit more damage than expected. You know, so absolutely. Yeah. Do you see other healthcare professionals? I mean, aside from what you mentioned, where it's a hub and you've got different types of therapists and doctors working together, but do you see them adopting a lifestyle medicine approach? Have you seen much of that in the UK where you've got Eastern medicine doctors working with Western medicine doctors? I am now just because I'm completely into, you know, these energetic solutions and lifestyle changes for yourself. You meet an awful lot more doctors now that are are themselves starting to practice alternatives. And there is a place for that. And I remember even being in practice where one of the doctors would do acupuncture. He was training. Okay. Interest. Yeah. And that was amazing. And I just thought, oh, gosh, it's it's really starting to move now. But it was yeah. very slow and massage. So now alongside traditional medicine, a number of doctors and nurses do alternative practitioners are, are, are allowed to do it, whereas we weren't allowed before. So it's slowly starting to creep in. But I just feel with the, the Public Health Alliance, you know, I'm sure the results of those treatments yeah. It's so beneficial that they'll have to sort of say, well, yes, there's a place to run alongside this now with traditional yeah. and conventional medicine. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, this is a great segue into sharing your personal story and journey, which I am so excited to share. You have one hell of a story to share. So I would love for you to talk about your story and share your personal interaction and experience with the healthcare system and the alternative healthcare system. Okay. Well, back <laughs> back after this lifetime in the NHS, as a specialist nurse, I, f- I did find myself on the other side of the fence. And it was in 2011, I went traveling with a group of women and fell walking in Ireland. And I was bitten by a tick and ended up with Lyme disease. So this Lyme disease really, within 48 hours, I was in accident and emergency and, you know, semi-conscious basically with all the toxin that was in my body. And the pain was excruciating and I had photophobia and, oh gosh, just everything was going wrong. And it was affecting my not only my brain because I didn't, I, I got this sort of palsy and then I right. couldn't speak and then I couldn't walk. So all this mobility issues and physical painful issues. And at that time, they just put me on a huge dose of antibiotics and tramadol painkillers and sent me home because there was no guidance over here right. in the UK, and they clearly weren't sure whether it was Lyme or whether it was malaria at that time when I was in A&E. Of course, subsequently, I got the, this huge rash that's prevalent with Lyme disease, okay. bulldog-looking rash that, right. that's typical of Lyme. And But the thing was that they still didn't know how to treat it. So, yeah, so I had quite a journey with that, learning how to become mobile again, Mm-hmm. learning how to speak again. I had appointments with neurology for months, trying just to create words. And it was quite a thing. And I was in a wheelchair for a while. And so, yeah, so that was a big thing in, in 2011. And, and as I overcame that, as, as I was told, I'm sorry, there's nothing we have for you. I just They just thought, left well, you. They just said, there's nothing we can do. Home, keep taking just, just- keep taking the painkillers, you know, just rest and keep, well, that was no life. It went, went no. on for, for nearly a year and I just, you know, enough's enough sort of thing. So yeah. that's when I started to explore different avenues. And, and that's when I came across 
a lady, another friend of mine, said, have you heard of this naturopath who has a bioresonance machine? And my pain was due to all inflammation, the fibromyalgia, etc., in my body. Right. And I went to her, and this machine, who was, was developed by Rife many, okay. many years earlier, basically programs your medical history in. You, you, you give it all your detail about your okay. med- past medical history, your, your age, all that sort of information right. goes into the machine and uh, the symptoms that you're having. And then this machine creates this field of energy. Now, you, as the, the patient, sit on this metal pad with okay. a metal rod in your hand. Okay. And this circuit from this pad also has a wire and that attaches to the machine. And yeah. your practitioner, the naturopath in my case, she had this other metal sort of a wand that she was okay. pointing at me and it completes a circuit. And basically what it does is that every organ and cell in your body resonates at a certain frequency and this machine calibrates it and oscillates your cells so that your cells then become back to the right frequency and that assists with the inflammation or whatever it is you're attending with. <laughs> and that's really fantastic because that's just the energetic frequency of this bio biology and the yeah. resonance the frequency and it really assisted me uh, oh gosh in such a way that I'd, I'd been taking all those painkillers for all that time so it basically I, resets your cells in your body through through the frequency through the electricity the vibration like, vibration and the, fre- and the frequency is of the cell fucking yes. crazy <laughs> yes and it's just the start, you know, that's so that's how that works. Okay, so first I gotta how many sessions did you have to go for with the bioresonance? A number of sessions. There weren't very many. I think that I had I don't know whether it's half a dozen sessions. And how um, long is a session roughly? And it, it, the session was oh, gosh, I was in with her for about half an hour or something like that. So say half let's just call it six minutes. sessions for half yeah. an hour. Okay, yeah. so then what happened? So, so that, sorry. So, so, I yeah, just, so, so things started to improve. And obviously, once I started to get rid of the inflammation and then the pain, yeah, uh, that's when I could start to function again. And another synchronicity, a friend who is a writer, she was going across to LA to a writing workshop. And she said, yeah. I'd like to, to come with me. And I said, well, cognitively, I'm not up to it yet, but I'll certainly come with you and see what it's all about. So I flew across there and was introduced to this group of writers in LA. And it was the following year that I actually wrote in a collaborative book about my recovery and how I developed my treatment, if you like, and and all of the lifestyle changes that I implemented in this book. And my chapter was called Stand Up and Take Charge. That is incredible. And so Leslie, after the first session with the Rife machine, did you notice a difference like right away? Was it instantaneous? It was about a day later, you know, and a day later. And I just thought, oh, this isn't quite as painful, you know, and I was being able to do a few things that I couldn't before. Were you able to speak? Because you said you had lost cognitive ability to speak. Yes, I could speak. But it's it's like the process of your thoughts and right. how your words form, you know, your right. sort of things. So things over these weeks just slowly got better. And it was just that short period of time and I was just blown away by the whole thing. So and after, let's say, six sessions, you were pretty much back to Leslie, the normal Leslie before Lyme disease? Not completely, but okay. nearly. Yes. Wow. Was like things I was doing myself then. And I thought, just thought, well, there's just sort of tail end of things that I had to practice with my yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. So there was those things to, to sort of. <laughs> that is incredible. I and well, I mean, we need to talk about like this needs to be put out there. I've never heard of a Rife machine or bioresonance before you and I spoke before right. we got on the call. We did our, our pre our discovery call yes. and I'm blown away. This needs to be shared with people. And this was in the UK that you did this. And when yes. we spoke about it previously, you said that there are, people who have these machines in the US. So it yes. is starting to get noticed. But oh, yes. I mean, we yeah, need to talk about this more and get this yeah. out there. It's been out for some time. And she sends it off to be calibrated annually. And uh, obviously new programs set up in it. Yeah. And, uh, she sends it off to Germany and it comes back. But there's lots of different models and, right. and different companies. So yeah, so where you just look under bioresonance and these different companies or practitioners you can find. Right. If you just, you know, put in about which, where's your nearest practitioner. Yeah. Find. But this lady had been doing it an awful long time and I was so pleased to have found her. 
Incredible. She worked that. She was very keen as well on plant medicines too. Right. So those things that she was doing there with plant medicines. So, but yeah, it's just like there's lots of practitioners out there. It's it's just finding them. And I think the PHA, the Public Health Alliance, will be the place that will adopt all these. Yeah. 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 So fingers crossed. Your journey doesn't stop here, so please continue on. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to clarify some of this stuff. So all of that, so imagine all that toxicity in your body, and it went everywhere, my heart, my bowel, everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so clearly it had an effect before I found uh, Ruth. So in 2017, I was diagnosed with bowel cancer and then underwent surgery which I recovered from very nicely. Thank mm-hmm. you. It was a huge operation, but I was yeah. fine. Did the thought for you when you were diagnosed with bowel cancer, did the thought for you enter your mind to go back and see Ruth for the bioresonance or you just... No, went... not at that time. It, it okay. happened so quickly. It would happen okay. really within a fortnight. Okay. And it was, it was over a Christmas and New Year. And I just okay. thought I'd had a very rich Christmas and New Year and went to, to my local GP who I knew well anyway. And I just yeah. said, can you give me an antispasmodic and that sort of thing? She said, right. hang on a minute, I'm going to examine you. And then she said, actually, I think I might fast track you in and get some tests done, Leslie, to be honest, because you have your, I did have a family history with my mum. She died in her 50s. And I said, OK, then, not expecting anything. And when I had MRIs, et cetera, they found this huge, huge tumour in my bowel. Right. So uh, I wasn't expecting that. So that yeah. all happened within a fortnight very quickly. So I didn't even have time to think. And yeah. hadn't in, you know, very yeah. quickly, just within that, those couple of weeks. So that's why I had the operation and mm-hmm. and I did. I healed very nicely, thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then after that, it was 2019, yes, when this, oh, that was right. I was going for regular routine MRI scans, PET scans, etc. And one of my routine scans, I went back into clinic to see my consultant and he said, I'm so sorry, Leslie, but... Were, uh, were found a lot of different cancers and different organs spread. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, what? Uh, I couldn't believe it. I yeah. mean, I'm always a positive person, yeah. you know, and, I, and I, I'm always in that frame of mind, but I, that was a real blow. That was a real I'm sure. And of course, then when he said, there's nothing we can do, that was even a double whammy, you know, and he said, what I could do, he said, there's a research institute near London yeah. And he said, I could send you down there and you could have a chat with a consultant there and be part of their research program, if you would. And um, So a lab rat, basically. That's what I thought. Yeah. So I thought, well, you know, I'll go down and hear what he's got to say. So we flew down to London and basically it was removing four organs, having chemotherapy oh while in the theatre, fluid chemo. And then he said, your husband is going to have to come and live down here in the hospital. He said, yeah. you do survive. <laughs> Yeah, if you do survive all of this, he said, you have to have chemotherapy for months and your immune system would be so compromised, won't be able to allow you out. So basically Um, you'd be living in the hospital. In the hospital and that sort of thing. And to me, it was just like, no, something just screamed in my head. I just said I had to go home and think about it. But basically it was there. And then I just thought to myself, no, this isn't for me. If I'm going to pass, then I want to enjoy myself right away. And, you know, so that's when, that's what happened there in 2019. So as this was happening and I was going home, I was recalling all my past journeys because I'd been traveling with a group of women prior to this around the world. And we'd been seeking out ancient healing practices with different cultures in far from mm. places of the world. And What were some of the places that you were going? Uh, Peru, Costa Rica, Hawaii, Ireland as well was one of the places okay. with all these ancient uh, practices. And okay. Um, heard about these people with the, these healing abilities. So I started then to do my research about uh, healing and that lent me to radical remissions. And I started to read all of the information there. And it was then that I unearthed a wealth of evidence mm-hmm. and the books were written by doctors and testimonials. Yeah. And there was huge studies from the Heart Math Institute in America, okay. which I didn't know anything about prior to this, all supporting our own innate abilities to heal. And this is what I'd heard from all of these ancestors from of the indigenous people that I've been talking to in the Sacred Valley and, you know, Costa Rica and all this. Yeah. So I just thought, oh, my goodness, there's more to it. So with nothing to lose, I adopted the practice that they suggested. And with, without getting into too much science and physics, putting it very simply, 
we're surrounded by a toroidal field of energy and it's invisible to us. We can't see it. It's full of electrons, neutrons, protons, and it's a bit like radio bandwidth frequencies that we pick up and you you tune in. It's a bit like tuning in and selecting your radio station. And there's lots of different bandwidths and frequencies. But like I said, they're invisible and they're electromagnetic waves. And we're used to them when people start to sort of listen to me and they go, what? And (laughs) and then I say, well, you know, just think of all the waves that we do use, like X-rays and solar waves for for scans. And then you've got your Wi-Fi and your Mm -hmm. radio and all these different waves that we just pick up wirelessly. And so these frequencies we're we're sort of used to, but then we don't realize. So I used this ancient practice and I learned to tap into the field and as known as the electromagnetic field, or some people refer to it as the universal intelligence, or it's just that consciousness that's all around us and this frequency. So I then started to recalibrate and realign myself doing just that, just as the bioresonance machine that back then this is our own innate abilities, weak things we can do ourselves. So what we have in our bodies were our electrical systems. Yeah. We have the end of our chromosomes, we have things called telomeres. Okay. And they release lots of biochemical messages, neuro impulses, that sort of thing. And they're a bit like sender receiver satellite dishes. Okay. So all of this electromagnetic field we can link into by doing a certain practice. Yeah. And once we're in that state, basically it alters us and recalibrates and realigns ourselves just as the machine had done initially that I was telling you about with the bio. Yeah. So this practice, you, you just need to, to be in no doubt at all because, well, I wasn't because I'd re- read all the research. Everything right. So you, you were remaining in this high vibrational state, this power of – my dad always used to say – the power of positivity. Think positively. Use yes. your mind. He always used to say that to me. Exactly. The power of positivity will do so much for you. Well, he's right. He's absolutely right because your thoughts do create your reality. Yeah. They really, really do. And by having this clear intention as to what you want, so you're visualizing the outcome that you want. And in my yeah. case, it was walking into my consultant's office and getting good news yeah it's not as my clear intention but with the visualization it's actually seeing everything in detail and you're feeling the temperature the colors around you you're seeing it you're feeling it so it's a clear intention with an elevated emotion a high high frequency emotion and that comes from joy and the frequency of love which yes. is the highest vibration the frequency <laughs> of love and you know without within my nursing career that's one thing that I always when I used to nurse patients was I used to approach them as if they're my family yeah you know, and treat them that way and you do when you come from this happiness and, and this high vibration you can achieve anything so that's when basically I did that practice and I spoke to my consultant a few months later because he rang me to say, you know, London are waiting for you to go down. They want to book you into theatre to remove all the, you know, do this and that and the other yeah. program. And, and I said, well, actually, could I ask you first, is it possible to have all of my imaging done again, please? Yeah. And then I'll come back and see you first if that's all right. And he just agreed. He said, oh, right. Yes. Let's how, so how long after your practices did you speak with your practitioner? I think in total, because I had to wait for the imaging results to come back. And I think right. had it been about uh, 10 or 12 weeks since I've been okay. to London. Okay. And, and then after that, waiting for the results, it made it about three to five months, okay. about five months in total, I think. Okay. Yes, okay. Um, and so, yes, it was because it was the May and then it was the November when I finally got an appointment with them. That's right. So I went in there and they just standing in the middle of the clinic and his arm was outstretched and he said, <laughs> congratulations, Leslie, look at this. He says, look at these images. They're just all clear. He said, I just don't know what to say. I don't know what you've been doing. I don't know what to say. But here we are. Isn't that wonderful? And I just, I just had this great big beam and smile. On <laughs> yes. That that is incredible. You essentially cured yourself of cancer. Yes. By remaining in this high vibrational state, this yes. the vibration of love, positivity, you would put into practice or put into use this practice that you had learned. And I'm sure you were doing reading and staying away from all negativity and. Yeah, absolutely. No news. Keep away from all of that. Yes. Yeah. 
anything that will lower your state. And the other part of it as well, to keep in that high vibrational state, it's like if if you watch your children, you know, yeah. or other people's children, the play. Yeah. And that's what I was doing. I was playing. I was not doing anything that was hard work in the world in that sense. And I was going to art classes. I was going to craft classes. I was making things. I was telling stories. I was dancing with friends, you know, being invited to certain yeah. things. And so playing like a three-year-old, that's how I was to keep my state high. And I still maintain that, you know, walking in nature, gardening, being connected to all that is that whole electromagnetic field of consciousness. And it's just beautiful. This is absolutely incredible. Like this. Mm -hmm. Wow. No, (laughs) it's phenomenal. And so that was 2019. We're now in 2023. So that's four years and you are. Do you go for regular checkups still, like yearly or every now, every now and again? If the I don't go regularly, no, I feel fine. I went last week actually for one of the first ones, and yeah, uh, yeah, but I feel so well. Congratulations! Really we have to emphasize here that you are still remaining in that high state, yes, and still doing the practices, all of these things. You have to keep that up and remain in that high vibrational state in order to yes. stay in that zone to keep yourself clear. And so now it's four years you've been clear. Yes. That is incredible, it's, it's Leslie. Just, it, it is. It's just wonderful. And it's Why just. Why are you. You need to teach this to people. You need to well, share. <laughs> people have asked so much. You know, this is one of like the first things I've been on. I've been on perhaps a couple of talks or whatever. Yeah. And then they say, you must share this. You must yes. share. Yes. But, you know, books have been written already. When I was researching, there was yeah. books not on radical remission. Right. Um, but nobody was recording these yeah. radical remissions, you know, and, and, and in medical school, the doctors know about the placebo effect. Right. And that's like just the sugar pill and then yeah. people just get well. But it's all to do with the mind and believing that you're actually taking a, something that's going to cure you. Yeah. So it's all the power of the mind and keeping your vibration high and totally being in no doubt this, that you're going to heal. Oh and my, uh, this is incredible, Leslie. We need to to get this out there, to share with the world. Now, do you believe with this story? I mean, I am blown away. I was blown away when you first told me, do you believe that absolutely everybody has this power and ability within them to cure themselves or whatever it may be, whether it be cancer, Lyme disease? I, I do. I do feel that everyone has that innate ability and it's just a practice and it's just something to understand, first of all, and how your systems, how your biochemical messages, your head is just like a computer, like this computer that you program. Yeah. You, you just need to basically program your cells by talking to it in the right way and visualizing it, you know. So I feel that if you have that intention and no doubt in yourself, because you do believe yeah. if you're in that state, then yes you know, you can go on to heal yourself. This is, this is unbelievable. I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I'm, this is incredible. And I want to say though, this is not easy for a lot of people because of course, yes. and I think we're human beings. When you get that news of, okay, Leslie, when you got that news, Leslie, I'm sorry, but we found tumors in multiple organs, stage four. I mean, your first reaction of course is shock. Then yes. fear sets in. Then yes. for typical people, it would be depression, sadness, like, oh my God, what am I going to do? So it's not easy to get into that headspace mm-hmm. when you've gotten news like this. So what is one or two pieces of advice you could share for people, not just with cancer, but when you get that type of news, how do you get yourself into that state to remain positive and to start putting these things into practice? Yeah, I th- I think basically I'd I mean I felt all those things. It was a bit like everything went so quiet. Yeah, you know, it was a different sound altogether around yeah. me, and it was just one of those blows that you're just like, what? And then thinking of my family and my children and grandchildren, yeah. it was like, oh my, and it really hits you hard. But then I gathered myself up as you do in mm-hmm. the sense of okay, well, I'm I am so interested in science, and I think to myself, well, there's got to be another way. Yeah to be another way and especially with what I witnessed when I was traveling and listening to those healing stories and how these people didn't have all these medical interventions you know way back then yeah and all of these practices are now you know uh, passed down through the ages and once you realize that we're all part of the whole 
this mm-hmm. electromagnetic field, once I did get over that initial shock, I just yeah. thought, right, you know, I've got to sort of look into this because I, I know there's, there's something I can do. I, I just undoubtedly knew there was something I could do. Yeah. And uh, so, yes, so that's the thing is to be still, you know, having a daily practice of being still and being in this clear, clear intention to raise your vibration, you know, an elevated emotion. It's just like play. So just make it easy for yourself to get your head around that. Just think of a child. I know it's hard when you've been diagnosed, but support. You probably need support, you know, and that's one of the, the things that I feel as if I would really like to do to support people who yeah. have been diagnosed with some not so nice news, just to be able to assist in that way, to guide them yeah. through this and to signpost them yeah, to different places. Did you get a lot of people saying, of course, there's they, people say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear the news and this and that and the other when you tell them, but disbelievers. It's like, no, you can't do that. There's no way. How is that even possible? Like a lot of negative Nellies and people say, how is that? No, you can't. I don't believe it. A lot of naysayers. And how do you combat? How do you deal with that? I think that's natural, you know, with anything that you can't imagine people to, to believe all of this, you know, when you first hear it. But the evidence is there. I share the evidence. It's not just me saying this as a as a lay as a nurse or or a lay person even mm-hmm. uh, that I've I've read about other people doing this and hundreds and hundreds and the sites you can go to with lots of testimonials of all these people who've healed themselves. But not only that, the evidence from the Heart Math Institute they go into it in great depth in great science and explain most every part of yeah. the healing process and how it occurs. And yeah, it's, there's just a wealth, a plethora, in fact, of evidence when you start looking for it. It's, it's not But I there. mean, you are a plethora of evidence. You are living proof that it is possible yes. and a fountain of knowledge to share these practices. I mean, you yes. must be bursting at the seams to I, share this with people that, I am. so that they I'm, know. I'm very passionate, yes, about the whole subject now, now that I've done it and I know other people have done it. And of course, when you hear so many people these days, you know, getting a diagnosis like that, you just want to sort of assist. Yeah. Um, And you, I mean, your natural nature as a mother, first of all, as a woman, but also as a nurse to nurture and to help and to give back and to support and share this with everyone. I mean, this is absolutely incredible. And no matter where you are in the world, you don't need a Rife machine. You don't need bioresonance. You can do this within your own body, your own mind, and it doesn't cost you anything. I mean, sure, if you want to buy books to read about, yes, you got to spend some money to buy the books and learn about it. And but you can share the practices with people. Yes, (laughs) and you have your your own innate ability to heal. And part of the research is that they found that even people who aren't quite sure what they're doing or whatever, if a a large group of you come together, the, the volume of the energetic. You know, that huge energetic actually uh, heal that other person, that higher vibration of a number of people together. So that's another thing I'm looking into now. And I'm thinking, well, even if people can't get the grasp the whole thing themselves, yeah. you know, you can do this to a huge group and the energetic of the group. Y- you need to rest. teach this. You need to share these practices. You need to get this out there to the world to share with people. I mean, yes. It is absolutely fucking incredible. <laughs> I, I am just dumbfounded. I am in such awe, Leslie. I think your story is so much hope. It's a ray of light. It's a story of hope and people need to know this. I mean, this is incredible. Absolutely incredible. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I know. It's a, it's a real, uh, yeah. You need to share this with the world, Leslie. So yeah. I am just honored to have you here and to share this to because this is such a ray of hope for people you are living proof that you have we all have the tools within us to help heal ourselves no matter what we're battling it's yes, all up here in the mind we do. we do and like mayor angelo said i feel this is my mission in life is not merely to survive but to thrive and to do so with some passion some compassion humor and some style. <laughs> <laughs> I love this, Leslie. Oh my gosh. You're a ray of hope. I, I think this is absolutely incredible. And we need to share this with the world. It needs to be shared so that people know what is possible. Oh, and yes. 
Mm-hmm. Oh my, I cannot wait to share your story with the world. Oh, anyway, I'm, I'm getting all caught up in this. So let's continue. on. With- I am so excited and happy for this information to know that this is possible for everybody on the planet to do this and to help heal themselves. Mm. But again, we have to say that this doesn't happen without putting in the work. You have to get into that headspace, which again, as we say, is not easy at all. Yes, it is simple, but you have to have a practice and you have to understand the science behind it as well and what's actually happening in your body and what you're releasing, the chemicals that you're releasing, you know, the the parasympathetic nervous system, how that kicks in once, because you're instructing instructing your body in effect, yeah. how you connect with all of that energetic, which is... The mind-body consciousness. Mind-body, yes, heart-heart mind resonance coherence sorry you know so it's it's all that alignment and yeah so where should people start then what is the first two or three things they should start with well basically it's a practice that needs to be supervised if you like just in order so you know what to do but certainly the stillness aspect you know like i say going into that practice daily of of stillness and taking those a few deep breaths because the breath itself is so important to relax your nervous system and to breathe out longer than you breathe in and then get yourself a, an image. So just imagine whatever it is that you desire with your health and then really get into the state of seeing a full picture, like a movie mm-hmm. picture, and how you feel. So that emotional side is so important because initially it's the emotions in your life that cause disease. Your reaction to an emotion, whether right. it be a relationship or a work situation or stress, pressure from whatever. Mm-hmm. So that just knocks everything out of kilter and it's just getting everything back in harmony again. So it, it needs a dedicated, simple practice. You need to teach people this. <laughs> this is incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any books that you recommend that people start with as well? Certainly the Energy Codes by Dr. Sue Morta was one that okay. I read. And another one that I'd read years ago, which gave me even more hope, was Anita Morjani, Dying to Be Me. And she okay. was taken right to the edge and they were just about to switch off the machines. Yeah. And she got this message from consciousness and she did exactly this sort of thing. And when you start looking... They pop out at you from all over the place. Well, we'll put a couple of titles in the show notes for when we release your episode. But I mean, I want people to connect with you and talk just speaking to you to hear about this so they can talk with you firsthand and hear your story. And you can help people. You can share your practices and people can heal. You can heal the world. (laughs) Like This is so incredible. Well, I'm writing the book. I'm writing my book about it all. Uh, So that's called Not So Hidden. And Are you sharing the practices and stuff that you did, or is it more yeah. just overarching your story? It's, it's the story mainly, but I'm going to sort because I haven't got that far, the last yeah. part, mm-hmm. which is all to do with this practice. And and I'd like to share that with people in the book. And then as a thank you to everyone who's here, I'm happy then to offer a discount code for my forthcoming book. Beautiful. And uh, I want to offer a discount at that time when it's released on the yeah. pre-launch and that yeah. the time is yet to be arranged. That'll be right. a few months away. And then obviously just to go to my website where I'll respond to the request with the code. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Well, we'll put that in the show notes as well when your episode's oh, ready. Thank you so Leslie, much. this is incredible. This is absolutely phenomenal. I'm beaming. And I, I just think it's incredible what you have managed to accomplish. You are a beacon of light, a beacon of hope with your story. I think it's absolutely incredible. You're a lighthouse. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, I really enjoyed this. Lovely. Leslie, what do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? Mm, happiness, I think. <laughs> keeping positive. Yes, keeping positive. I think that's yeah. the key. How do you define success? What does that word mean to you? Success, I think if you love and you're passionate about what you do, Mm. which I am, really am. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before you learned it? And what was your life like after learning it? Oh, gosh. Well, I feel there's there's always a way. And before, like everyone else, I just thought I had to give my power away to others and go in and seek some assistance. 
And now afterwards, I know that I can heal myself. I have this ability, should I say, to heal. Yes. Love it. What does the word empowerment mean to you? Oh, gosh, everything. Everything. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Who in your life, Leslie, has had the biggest impact on you and why? I think of the last few years, a lady called Jennifer Hoff, Mm-hmm. who I went traveling the world with, with this group of ladies. And if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have witnessed all of this, these wonderful energies and met these people from different cultures that meant so much and shared all our knowledge and wisdom. So she was kind of the leader that said, okay, we're going to go to Costa Rica, we're going to go to Peru, we're yes. going to go here and just organize these trips. And how long would you go on these trips for? Well, they would last 10 days. For, okay. Uh, fortnight, something like that, and would would zot off to different places of the world and talk about what had happened in the past and about the energy centers there. And then we would meet the people in the villages or in their own homes. And it was just remarkable. I would have never gone to these far-flung places and lived Titicaca and up onto these temples and Machu Picchu, all those places I would never have gone had it not been for her. And this lovely group of... Was it the same group of ladies that traveled to all these places? You all traveled together to all of them? Mostly there was a core group, but there was lots of other people who joined us. Yeah. Joined us, yes. And so So. over the course of how long did you visit these places roughly? Oh, gosh. I think it started, was it 2011 to 2014, 2015? Yes. So just, yeah. Just learning the ancient wisdom and teachings. Yes. Yes. Remarkable it was. Really, it just really was expansive. It just opened my mind to everything that's out there. There's lots of things that were forgotten, you know, Egypt, yeah. everything about Egypt, everywhere, all these temples and, you know, it's just fascinating. And It is. It's incredible. It's, what is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for, Leslie? Well, I started to sort of sit and think, well, what's that? And then straight away, this word cancer came into my head. And I just thought, yes, this has been the biggest lesson and teaching of my life. And if it hadn't been for getting cancer, I wouldn't be here today. So, Incredible. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be one, two, three word answer type thing. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Thriving. What is one thing you love about yourself that is not related to your physical appearance? Love. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? A sense of humor. (laughs) (laughs) What is your favorite self-care practice? Oh, health, yes, definitely raising your vibration. If you could be remembered for one thing, Leslie, what would that be? For assisting people, yeah, for assisting people to get well and to find their own innate abilities. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their life? Oh gosh, the power of self. Yeah. Believe in yourself and your own innate abilities to heal. Yes. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the last year? How passionate I am to share with others. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't think I'd be, you know, on the platform, but here we are. Here I am. Here we are. Oh, yeah. Leslie, what is your why? My mother. My mother who died in her 50s, yeah. What would you say is one of the worst pieces of advice you've ever gotten? The words, nothing we can do. (laughs) Yeah. There's nothing we can do. Those must have just rung in your head when when the doctor said that to you. I just was, what? Yeah, that was a big shock. How long, when you were in that appointment and went home, how long did it take for that to first of all sink in? Because that's a huge piece of news. Mm-hmm. And then once it really sunk in, what was the timeline like for where you just said, okay, you know what? I refuse to accept this. I am going to do everything within my power to shift this and step into that positive mindset. Was it very, very quickly for you? It was actually, yeah. It was the next day, I would say, because that was a huge shock to go home and obviously to share that with family, in which obviously, you know, they were upset. So I was was comforting them as well as them comforting me. But it was the next day I slept on it and then realised, you know, all of the things that I'd learned and I wasn't going to just let it happen. And I just intuitively knew there was something I could do. And so... Did your family get on board with what you were telling them with the practices right away? Did they, yes, mom, we support you. We're here. Yes, dear, your husband, all of that. Was it all right there? Were they, how is this going to work? Is this, can you really do this? 
they were still in shock. You know, I was, like me being the nurse again, looking after yeah. their well-being in the sense of, oh, And on. you're the one that needs the looking after and yeah. the support. And it's, it's, it's just something I've done all my life. You know, you just step in because you just do it so naturally. And yeah, so I would say, you know, a couple of days and I just thought, right, get into this and find out more about this and start your practice. And did you sit down and have a conversation with them and say, look, guys, this is what I'm doing. I am no, going to beat this thing. I, di- I didn't sort of, well, I did say at that time, I'm not going to let this happen to me. That's what I did say. So I said, I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way. That's all I did. But I didn't sort of try and explain what I was going yeah. to do. Yes. And so, so they uh, must have been, I can't even imagine the elation they must have felt when you got that news five, six months later that you're clear like that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Everybody was overjoyed. But my daughter had said to me as well, you know, when I was supposed to go down to London and be part of that yeah. research guinea pigs type thing. Yeah. And she just looked at me and she went, oh, no, mum, you don't want to do that, do you? And I went, I'm definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> but were they in disbelief when you told them when you came home that day? And mom, how the how did this happen? Yes, like... yeah, they were. They absolutely were. They couldn't. Well, well how has that happened? You know, how's it? Yeah. Know? And then, of course, explaining. But they knew, you know, in that way that I they knew what my beliefs were. Yeah. I talked to them about my beliefs, but it was a huge shock for everybody. A nice shock in the yeah. celebration. Yeah. Oh, really just wonderful. incredible. Leslie, if you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? Oh, yes. Like I just said, Mia Angelo. Yeah. Her wisdom, her wisdom, what a fabulous woman she was. I guess she wouldn't have just taken it. Yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't have sat still either, would she? No. <laughs> she would have gone out on a high. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Leslie, if you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? I guess you're more than good enough, I would tell myself. Because growing up, my brother was always the bright one and sent to high schools and things and I had to obviously contribute yeah. to the finances and uh, yeah leaving school at 15 without any qualifications that really hurt me really when he went off to do all sorts and so yes so now it's like I'm more than good enough beautiful I love that Leslie yeah. lastly if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world your tribe your people your corner of the world what would that last 30 seconds sound like what words of oh, wisdom would you impart gosh all the things I'd learned from people that I'd assisted in palliative care before they left this plane. Believe in yourself. Live your life to the full, lass, they used to say. Live your life to the full. And may your final words to people really mean a lot. Wayne Dyer comes to mind. If you can change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Beautiful. Leslie, thank you so very, very much from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to be here with me today and share your incredible, beautiful ray of light story. You are a beautiful, bright light in this world. And I am so honored to have had this opportunity to sit down and share in your story. Thank you for inviting me into your vulnerable space to share in that with you and to share your journey with others with the hopes that you, your story can inspire and help people realize that they do have the power within them to heal and to heal themselves and to stay positive. You're an incredible beacon of hope. Thank you so much for being here. I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community, Leslie. Oh, thank you so much, Brad. And thank you for your beautiful podcasts. It is my honor and my pleasure, Leslie. You are a bright light of hope. (laughs) I'm just, I feel like a little kid in a candy store hearing about you. I think it's absolutely incredible. And I just want to help you share this with the world. I really do. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Brad. Thank you. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Leslie Ann Graham. She is a lead specialist nurse for the NHS, an executive coach for human resources, and an author. And most importantly, a mom and a beacon of light and hope. Thank you, Leslie. I appreciate you. Have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you, Brad. Bye for now. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.